Running Light Ministry Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. Welcome to the Running Light Ministry Podcast. We call this the Better Pleasure Podcast. And this is episode 130. Nice. And that was Peter Martin. Peter Martin and myself, Bo Willette, are your host for this podcast, which we talk about love, lust, and life in the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, today we're going to do a Q&A day. We only have a little bit of time, so we'll kind of shotgun approach these questions. And this actually comes from our women's group. So these questions come from ladies that attend a group, an accountability group. Mm. So for those out there, that's kind of where these questions come from. And we did not make them up. But on this podcast, we like to talk about all kinds of cool stuff. Yeah. So if they seem a little harsh or a little weird... Well, these are probably questions many people have thought about. Right. They just haven't really. <laughs> <laughs> haven't had the guts, man, to, to really say it. <laughs> to lay it down like that's why this. It, that's why we love going, me and Bo teach at the Salvation Army. <laughs> and uh, those guys are, a lot of them are new believers, like brand new believers out of addiction. Some of them aren't even believers. They're just getting sober to help out their lives, and they're being exposed to the gospel for the first time. Mm -hmm. And so they'll ask me and Bo. They know us as like the sex guys. <laughs> they're just like, we'll just ask them whatever, and we get some we get some awesome questions. You know, they're they're asked in a very unrefined, unChristian way, but there's a lot of honesty in them, and there's a lot of coolness to the questions once you get past the crudeness of them. Um, that I think touches on questions that a lot of Christians have. That's right. And so we're all about the biz of trying to make known uh, the goodness of Christ through uh, answering questions or going over these topics. And um, and so that's really what it's about. Um, it's not about us. It's about God's glory. And we hope that he shines much greater than we do. But the first question, so we gave you guys all the little little <laughs> asterisk, right? Yeah. We said, hey, <laughs> so here we go. Now we're going. Okay. So the first question is going to be a cool one. Can we masturbate to the glory of God if we're thinking about him while we self-gratify? <laughs> That's an interesting one. One that I have actually heard before. So uh, there's, there's a couple interesting aspects to it, and I think it feeds into another question that uh, we also have about do we have sexual intimacy with God, where God, you have to understand, is a purely spiritual being, and so our relationship with him cannot be held in any type of physical man manner. So in other words, unlike a person, you can't talk to God. You're not going to be able to say something to God and receive an audible response back that you process through your ears because God is not a physical being. John chapter 4, Jesus says God is spirit. So that means that we can only relate to God on a purely spiritual way. So we have communion with him through various ceremonies and uh, uh, various things that we do in the church. We pray. That's how we communicate with God, believing that he hears us and discerns our heart and our intent. But again, we're not going to hear back from him in an audible way, and we're not going to be able to touch God. We're not going to be able to feel God. 
And because of that, because of that disconnect, people have always tried to bring in a, a physical representation of the Lord in their worship. This is why idolatry has been so powerful throughout the world. People would like a physical representation of God that they can worship and then they could feel like they're connecting with him. So um, when it comes to sex, you have to understand all the relational metaphors that the Bible utilized to describe God's love for us, utilizing physical relationships like God being a father, God being a friend, God being a husband. These are metaphors that are helping you take your physical life and relationships and infer greater spiritual meaning from them towards God. So sex, in other words, is a physical act. It's not purely physical. There's a spiritual and psychological component to it, but it is a physical act in which a man and woman can literally become one. And through that oneness, we can understand the spiritual oneness that we have with God. And that's how we understand it. So God's not physically having sex with us because God's not a physical being. Now, on the same token, can you masturbate to God? And the answer is no, because masturbation is a sexual act and sex is a physical act. Even though it has more components to it, it is primarily a physical act. So I can have sexual desires for my wife, but until I actually have sex with her, sex has not occurred. Sexual intercourse has not occurred unless I actually have sex with her. Now, when Jesus says, if you lust after a woman in your heart, you committed adultery with her, he's not saying that those actions are synonymous. Lusting and physical sex are synonymous. But he is saying that lusting in the heart carries a sinful component to it that is like the sin of adultery. They're not the same thing, but they are similar. They come from the same root, if you want to put it that way. So in the same token, you can't masturbate to God because God is, we don't have a sexual relationship with him because we don't have a physical relationship with him. And masturbation is a sexual act. It's a sexual movement of your body. It is intended for a sexual purpose. And masturbation, this is also very interesting, and I'd uh, love to hear from you as well, Bo, on, on this topic, but masturbation is uh, disconnecting the sexual act from any type of responsibility or union with another person. So in other words, sex is intended to be something that brings about greater union and intimacy with your partner. That's the purpose of sex. It has many dimensions to it. Uh, when we have, when we masturbate, we're removing one component of sex, which is just the orgasm and physical pleasure, and we're removing that from the greater components of sex, which would be physical intimacy with another person and union with them. And to think about God while you're doing it doesn't make the act any different. And uh, as a matter of fact, it makes it almost like an oxymoron where you're committing a physical sexual act, thinking about a purely spiritual being from which sex is supposed to be merely a metaphor. So, um, no, I don't think that's possible for those reasons. But what do you think about that, Bo? That's an interesting question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it might be because when we when we're saying hey um I'm masturbating to God um 
we're thinking of God obviously maybe wrong than the way we should be thinking of God. And and this is maybe an idea of where pleasure, the term pleasure, mm. we get mixed up. Because God is pleasurable at his right hand or pleasures forevermore. Mm. Um, come drink from the river of God's pleasures. Mm. And it's easy to automatically in our brains go to sexual pleasure. Right. And this is not something that is um, odd to religion. Right. Religion very much has used the idea of the pleasure of God and equated it with actually human being sex. Right. And so uh, you look at Mormonism and there is a very strong post uh, world sexual component right to their theology right to islam there's a very strong post <laughs> you know this world yeah uh component to their sexuality right it's part of their theology right christianity doesn't know such a theology right right it doesn't have a, a theology of sexual pleasure post this life right and so uh, when we look at the term pleasure and we're equating it to God, we have to go into God's realm mm. uh, of what we know about heaven, what we know about God's, the heavenly host. Right. You know, we don't read anywhere in the Bible. Um, I don't even know if you, you this is in... Um, uh, the book of Enoch. If there is a book it's going to be in, it would be in the book of Enoch. <laughs> the Apocrypha. But, yeah, yeah, the many books of Enoch, right? Uh, Sean always corrects me and says, there's five or six <laughs> books of Enoch. But uh, um, but uh, I, don't, I don't remember anywhere reading about their sexual appetites in the celestial world. Mm. And so unless you could think of something, but I can't think of anything off the no. top of my head. And there's even insinuation that there there won't be. We're not positive, but Jesus says that uh, when he's asked about the resurrection, he says, do you not know that we will be like the angels in heaven, neither marrying or giving in marriage? So some people have taken that to mean that there will not be specific sexual pleasure within heaven, which which can make sense to uh, a certain extent. And uh, I'm not really going to get into that right now, but... Uh, God being a pleasurable being, and like I said, having a different type of pleasure associated with him than anything we can really understand on this earth has to use metaphors to help us understand what he is like. Uh, we're not going to get the totality of it because we're in this physical material world, and we're not going to be able to really experience the totality of what God has for us until we're raised, until our bodies are elevated to be able to fully comprehend the physical and the spiritual, which is what the resurrection promises. We're not there yet. So because we're in this interim period, God has to explain his pleasure in these physical ways. This is again why he explains himself as the bridegroom. He's like, I am I am like the, the kind of pleasures that you have when you're in a marriage, including sexual pleasures, can be used as a metaphor to understand God's pleasure that we have with him in a spiritual sense. That doesn't mean, again, that we're having physical sex with him or anything like that, but it does mean that the pleasures, not in quality, but in quantity. So in other words, the quality of the pleasure that we have with God is different, 
but the quantity of it, the level of pleasure that we have in sex is equal to God's and beyond, meaning that the pleasure that we can have with God is greater than the pleasure that you can have in a purely physical sexual sense. Uh, same with God, people talking about reading God's word and saying it's better than better than honey. Uh, I've never read the Bible and been like, wow, that was really sweet. You know, that really satisfied my hunger. I don't need to go out to dinner, honey. I just read the word. You know, I'm good. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's just that it's like eating your favorite food. It's not the same thing, though. Yeah. Welcome to the Better Pleasure podcast. We just went live a little bit on Facebook and we're doing some uh, answering some questions today. The first question was um, had to do with uh, self-gratification. And so we answered the question. We didn't post all the question on live. You guys can listen to the podcast if you want it. <laughs> but it was on uh, self-gratification, and it talked about um, can you masturbate to the glory of God mm. if we're thinking about him while we self-gratify? Right. And again, that might be a really disturbing question for a lot of people. But, uh, you know, it you know, again, we, we've answered it, and and, uh, and 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 I think what you're talking about right now um, is really important, and that is uh, the pleasure that we have in God, we can't equate it exactly right. to the sexual pleasure. Right. And to do so um, is a is uh, saying what the Bible does not say. Right. Because uh, we don't read about sex in heaven. Um, but I will say, I will, I will say this, is that there's many people uh, in the in Christendom, especially I think of monks back in the day, that when they've talked about <clears throat> the pleasures of God, um, they were celibate, by the way, so right. they weren't experiencing sexual pleasure. Right. Uh, especially, we know that for a fact, especially to for the ones that castrated <laughs> themselves. Yeah, definitely couldn't. They yeah. lacked the equipment for that. Yeah, yeah but, <clears throat> but those people talk about God is in a pleasurable way. Right. Uh, so like you were talking about, there is a quality, mm. right? There's a, there is a quality um, and, and a quantity, I right. guess, right. that are, that is, uh, you know, people are going, hey, they are measuring right. this joy and, and they're seeing it as pleasurable to them, right. to their senses. Right. Um, and, and so... Um, yeah, so there is precedent of having pleasure in right. God without, in a sense, um, it being a sexual pleasure, right. you know, that kind of thing. And again, even on a human per perspective, just taking God out of the equation, we understand this, right? There, that certain things have a pleasure that in their qualitative state are distinct and they're not mirrored by anything else. So in other words, I could say I have great pleasure when I eat food, would I masturbate to food though? You know, and if I did, someone would say something's disordered in you because those are different types of pleasure. Those are different qualities of pleasure. Right. It's not that you can't enjoy the sexual and the material through eating, but when you mix them, something weird has happened because again, there's a purpose for the sexual pleasure and there's a purpose for eating pleasure. Uh, or for instance, like with my daughter, I have a lot of pleasure in raising her as a dad, but it's not like the pleasure I get from going to work or from eating. Right. There it, is a different kind of pleasure. It's very So it different. wouldn't surprise us that there's a different kind of pleasure that 
Psalm 16 is talking about. Right. Right? At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Right. Of course, we know Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. Right. But the pleasures that are in Christ, mm -hmm. it's a different kind of pleasure. Again, you've pointed out that it's uh, that there is a physical representation, something for us to tangibly understand pleasure on this earth, i.e. the sexual act. Um, and it can help us point to the amazing pleasure that is promised the believer. Right. But we shouldn't mix it up and say, oh, that word pleasure, because it's being used to describe sex, also has the same, same connotation when we're describing the pleasure with God. Right. You know, that's where we go wrong. Right. Right? Absolutely. You know, so, yeah, it makes sense. Okay, so um, let's see. Okay, someone said they're listening to our masturbation podcast now. Hey, <laughs> how about that? I'm glad they no. titled it the masturbation <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I think we did. Yeah. <laughs> Back in the day. Yeah. I, I think it's an old one, too. I think it's a few, about five, six years old, I would imagine. <laughs> Say, God uses sexual, sensual language to talk about Israel. Seems like... Like he wants to be with her. Right. Right. And uh, again, going in a very similar way, God is making a quantitative statement. What kind of passion does God have for his people? Not qualitative, not does God have sexual passion for his people, but anyone who's been in a sexual relationship knows there's nothing quite like it. There's nothing quite like the level, the quantity of desire that you have for someone that you're sexually attracted to. Because uh, it's every level. It's every level of romance put into one. That's why the romantic relationship is so special, right? I can put different types of affection within different relationships. Marriage is special in that it incorporates literally all of them, right? I could be nurturing towards my daughter, but I'm not going to be sexual towards her. I could be a friend to my dad but at a certain age it would have been inappropriate for my dad to be buddies with me right when i was two for instance that would have been an inappropriate time marriage is cool because it literally incorporates all of them you could be nurturing to your spouse you could be friendly to your spouse you can be uh in, in certain ways you could be uh not really educational or parental but in a way there are times where my wife has knowledge that i don't have and she can especially with like raising our daughter my wife is incredibly knowledgeable and stuff like that i'm pretty ignorant i'm i'm a i'm a youngest you know what i mean so i didn't have any kids after me so knowing how to raise kids and take i'm totally ignorant to it but she had you know three or four younger siblings she raised kids so there's a way that she's even educating me and mentoring me in parental roles so every component of human affection is inside of marriage that's what makes it so special and god is saying that's the kind of relationship I have with mankind. It just has everything. It has that level of passion. It has that level of desire. It has that level of intimacy and development, right? That's how cool it is. That's how beautiful it is. Mm. Yeah. Very cool. God uses sexual, sensual language to talk about Israel. Seems like he wants to be with her. <laughs> I like how they capitalized B-E. To be. <laughs> be with her. Yeah, yeah and again, I, 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 you know, it's that idea that we tend to cross over 
that idea of sex with God. Like right. we tend to think like, oh, well, you know, we have sex with people and God and God in his word is using this kind of sexual language. So it must be God wants to have sex with Israel. Mm -hmm. um, and and we have to realize that God's ways are not our ways per se. Right. And remember, we're the created being. Right. And we're reflecting an image of God but as P Pascal said, only that image, right. right? Right. It's like we only reflect the image, meaning there's so like there's 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 a lot of things that that we're not doing. I guess is what Pascal's saying. It's That's like, right. It's not know, total. It's not total. Right. It's not a total image bearing, um, uh, and um, because of the of course the fall of mankind. The image is, is blurred, and it, it is, in a sense, we see dimly as in a uh, mirror, a dirty mirror. Right. A, a <laughs> glass darkly, a, yeah. A dark, yeah, a bronze mirror as yeah. they had back in the day. Right. You know, where it wasn't quite as clear as maybe ours are today. So right. sometimes we don't get that analogy really well of what Paul is actually saying right. in First Corinthians. It's not a perfect image. And, you know... I don't want to miss one of the importances of these passages, though, because on there's like two equal and opposite mistakes we can make. We could say mm -hmm. uh, God is opposed to sex and sexual pleasure, which is a mistake the church has made throughout the ages. But then we could flip on the other side and say, well, sex is so holy and pure that it is a component of our relationship with God, which is also a mistake. So what these passages do is by utilizing these metaphors, they not only help us understand the level of pet, right? Not the quality of God's love, but the quantity of it, the passion of it. And that's really important and very cool. But what it also does is it hollows sexual relationships, meaning it makes them holy and sacred as opposed to profane and secular. Now that's very important for us to understand as Christians as well. Mm, yeah. So kind of a cool, cool pass, uh, cool idea. And obviously the person has read a lot of their Bible, so they have kind of keyed in to the sexual language mm. that's found in the Bible. And this is what's really unique, right? Is that many people, as you mentioned, in the church, uh, even though they say they have read the Bible, right. for some reason they just haven't tapped into this, um, <laughs> which seems really odd. <laughs> you know, since the Bible's filled with it. Right. Um, but uh, but this person certainly has. Now, the another question is, how do we ask God to fill the void, even physically, when we're trying to remain pure, not have sex outside of marriage, mm. but want sex? So how do we fill the void? Right. So, so I guess a good example of this is when Jesus is in the wilderness and he's being tempted by Satan to turn the stones into bread. His response is quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8, where he says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of the Lord. Now, Jesus is not saying that because we are complete in God and because all of our needs are met within him, that it removes our physical needs. So in other words, a Christian can be satisfied in God. And yeah, there have been Christians that have starved to death. And believe in God, right? They've been put in situations and prisons and things like that for their faith and said, yes, I will let this body die to honor God. And God has preserved them, quote unquote, meaning he has sustained them in that decision to allow their body to die in order to honor him. That's what Jesus is saying. I will let this body die 
to honor God. That's how much I love him. That's how much I care about him. He's not saying that, now this is also important, he is not saying that physical deprecation is good in and of itself, which again, some Christians have believed, that it's good to hurt the body because it makes you more spiritual. That's also false. The reason why God has created us as physical beings is because we ought to, in the right circumstances and in the right ways, fill the needs of the flesh, right? When you're hungry, you should eat. That's important. You're a physical being and you should enjoy your food. It's good. First Timothy chapter four talks about this. However, you also have a sexual desire and to resist your sexual desire is to resist something that your body does want. Your body wants to procreate. God designed us that way. Sex is good. It's supposed to be contained within marriage. Your sexual desire points to your bodily need and your communal need to procreate and to have progeny, to have new children that produce more children and so on and so forth. That is a bodily need. Some people will call, be called to celibacy and that's okay, but you have to understand if you're called to celibacy or in your, if you're in a period of your life where you can't procreate or can't have sexual union, union with someone you're married to, then what that does is it actually creates a lack in your life and you'll feel it, right? So when we say God is all that we need, we don't mean that if I pour into Christ, he will remove my physical desires. Mm -hmm. What we mean is that I can abstain from those physical desires because I love God more. So in other words, I'll say no to this in order to love God more. A good example of this would be my friends when we deployed. So we deployed for seven, eight month periods. And there were opportunities, right? Some of them had opportunities to fill their sexual needs in Afghanistan, right? So mm -hmm. uh, we didn't have a lot because we were infantry and there was no females around us. But there were certain moments where we were at bases where there were females and there were opportunities for them to do it. They had to deny their sexual urges to help their marriage. Mm -hmm. So in other words, the pleasure of their marriage is what enabled them to resist the immediate pleasure of another woman. Now, in the moment, all they felt was loss. All they felt was, I'm not getting my needs met and I feel a loss there, but they were able to do it. They were sustained, if, it, if, if I could use that language, by the love that they had for their spouse. That's a similar thing that the Christian does. It's not wrong to want to have sex and it's not wrong to feel like you're missing out on something when you can't have sex, no matter what the situation and the circumstances are that are preventing you from doing that. Yeah. But God sustains us in the sense that his love, our desire to please him is so strong and our pleasure in our relationship with him is so great that we're able to undergo that loss to the flesh, that suffering of the flesh because he's greater. Yeah. And so I will just comment a little bit on that, and then we got to end the, the cues time, <laughs> the question time. But um, we're talking about how to how do we ask God to fill the void, um, and uh, meaning the sexual void, even physically, of course, when we're trying to remain pure, not have sex outside of marriage, but want sex. Um, I think by asking, I think that's a simple way is just by asking. Jesus said, you know, you have not because you ask not. And um, uh, he also told us that uh, to ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit in a continual way. Um, and so, you know, that is something that we should be doing in our life daily is asking. 
Um, if you are frustrated because you go, man, then I guess I don't love God the way I should because I, I fell into something. Well, guess what? You're right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, and you're right. And, and, and that's true. And you, you know, uh, you have to face that fact. Uh, all of us do is that, um, that we don't love God as we should. Right. And, or as we ought to love God. Right. And, uh, you know, so you might say, well, I've asked God, but I still, you know, I don't feel like I'm getting any uh, satisfaction, uh, you know, any filling of God's spirit. And, and and I would just challenge you on that. Like, do you masturbate or do you go cheat? Or let me just say this. Do you have sex 24 hours a day with people? Yeah. You know, and you might say, well, no. And I'll say, well, how many time, how, how many, how many hours of the day are you yeah. having sex? And you might go, well, I don't know. I don't have sex every day. And I'll say, well, how how often do you have sex? Well, I'm having sex once every four days. I go, well, praise God. <laughs> you know, you you got you got. I mean, there's a bunch of days <laughs> that you're doing pretty good. <laughs> you know, yeah. and and that person might go, oh, I never really thought about that. Right. You know, like I I just you know and. And I guess my point is, is that sometimes we we focus just on failure all yeah. the time, right? Where we don't really see that, hey, you know, God helped me the other days. Yeah. And like, and man, maybe God can help me another day. Right. And, um, and so, you know, we have to keep getting back up. And, you know, that's what the Bible tells us to do is to keep getting back up. And C.S. Lewis even says that in Mere Christianity that, yeah. hey, you know, you got to keep getting up and going at yeah. it again. <laughs> you know, go try and try again. That's right. And he's got a great line in there where he says all of these virtues, whether they be sexual purity or continence or whatever, he says they're great, but they're not as good. They pale in comparison to the virtue of self-control. So he's saying that when we go at and we, we find even in ourselves failure, towards some of the sins of the flesh, we got to remember God is training us up in far more important spiritual virtues like patience and like gentleness and like self-control and endurance and things like that, which are better than just the mere virtue of sexual purity. Yeah, that's right. Which is, which is interesting because sometimes we're looking at just like, Hey, I just want it to be over. I just don't want to struggle. I just don't want to, and really what we would rather have is like uh, instead of really learning the virtues right and and having a character like Christ right um, we really just want to be like <laughs> done with it yeah you know we just don't want the fight anymore right and we don't want that battle and we don't want to feel that temptation and you know that kind of thing but I, I look at it like this like well you know with you know there there was a goalie in in Canada Ken Dryden that said without temptation we're all unbreakingly strong Mm. and it's such a good statement it's like you know where are we at without temptation right right without the resistance without the fight without the battle what if we have a society that is no longer resisting what does that society look like that throws off restraint you know, is it, do, you know, how do I, if I teach my kid that there is no, nothing to fight or there is no battle or there is no more need for resisting anything. Right. What am I really teaching my kid? Right. You know, um, you know, what, what is my kid going to become? Um, well, we have terms for that. 
you know, narcissism, right. <laughs> sociopathic. And I, and I love how you said that because it's like if your goal is just not to have sex, well, there's a group of people in the Bible that met that goal. That's right. Jesus didn't like them that much, though. They were called the Pharisees. Right? So <laughs> that's if, you, right. if that's all you want, you know, there are people who've done that. There yeah. are people who do that. But yeah. you're not necessarily going to honor God. Yeah. And you think of you think of how many people have like, you know, done horrible acts like i would say castration right i would say um someone um um singeing uh or uh scarring a clitoris right you know that's happens all over the world or in various parts well, of the yeah. world yeah you know but all in the name of god right i mean like this is good right you know this is good because it limits the sexual pleasure and you know um Man, what really, what really, you know, what really virtue is being, is right. going on there? Right. You know, like, what is the virtue that is being learned by that young girl? Right. Right? Right. Abstinence from sin does not equate to positive virtue. Hmm. Right. And God does not want us to simply abstain from sin. He wants us to become like his son, right, who had a positive character. He was a force for good and morality in the world, not just someone who said no to sin. Now, part of his ethics was saying no to sin, but the reason why he's savior is not because he just said no to sin. It was because he was a positively good individual, right? He was doing amazing things. So as Christians, I think we need to be a little bit more morally nuanced and complex in the way that we see things and not just say, I just don't want to sin. It's a noble goal, but it's not a very great goal. Instead, we should say, I want to be like Christ. And that means training up these virtues of, as I said, patience, endurance, courage, right? All these things. You know, Lewis, again, he had a great, great quote where he said, courage is not just a virtue or one amongst many. Courage is every virtue at its point of testing. Right. Right. So if you want to have your virtues tested, <laughs> you got to have courage, right? And you got to go through the endurance of resisting of the flesh. Yeah. And how do you develop self-control mm. if you don't need self-control. Yeah, if you don't have to control yourself. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to, you know, if you have no, if, if resistance yeah. doesn't play a part in your life, then right. I guess you're not going to develop any virtue of self-control. Right. And think of how many virtues are, are kind of like that. Right. Right? Absolutely. You know? It'd be like if someone went to the gym and they're like, I don't like the gym. Everything's so heavy. You know, there's so much. There's so much resistance in the gym. Totally. I just feel like God doesn't want me to lift these weights because it's so hard. That's you know? right. So <laughs> it's good just to sit on the couch yeah. and take those cheese puffs and <laughs> stick them in your mouth. Because it's so easy, you know. It's so simple. And it's like no. If you want positive results, you must undergo resistance. Yeah, it's but the there's so, there's something that happens in there. There's right. there's a di discipline that's that's going on. Right. You know. And there's a character that's going on too. Absolutely. You know. And so anyway, we're going to stop there with the questions. Um, Peter's got to get on the air with another show. Yeah. And, uh, but anyway, thanks a lot for checking us out today. Okay, you guys take care. Bye-bye. Check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series, Take Flight and Love or Lust. You can also send us questions on Twitter at Running Light or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries. Psalm 36, 8. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures.